We are considering Isaiah 22, a passage in which the Messiah is introduced to us by the name, the Key of David. It's a name that indicates that the Savior holds the passage into the royal house of promise. He it is that will open up one day into full view all that has been promised for the throne of David. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journey run. Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn about our ministries around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Well, we have more work to do in considering Isaiah 22 in order to lay the groundwork for Isaiah's prophecy. In quick review, Isaiah sees a day coming in which Jerusalem is surrounded by a destroying army. The armies of Jerusalem, however, don't engage this army in a battle. In the face of judgment, instead, they throw one last orgy of self-indulgence. A test has come to them of pending judgment in order to turn them to God, but they fail the test. They don't turn to God. They turn one last time to their own pleasures. From here, we'll follow Isaiah's prophecy in order to find our way to the Christ, the Messiah. And now what we have next is response of the city kind of localized in one individual by the name of Shebna. Shebna is introduced to us as this steward Shebna. Usually when you introduced an individual in the Old Testament, you would not only introduce the individual, but you'd say what family is from. You'd give the name of his father as well. But his father's not mentioned. He's just all by himself. This servant Shebna, it's an introduction of contempt. And he is what we might say the prime minister of Judah. We understand the duties that have been given to him and the responsibilities that have been given to him because they will be shifted from him to Eliakim. And we'll read about those duties that are given to Eliakim. But we have to understand first, they belong to Shebna. And Eliakim will become his successor because Shebna as well is a complete failure in his responsibilities. He's been given power within the royal family. He holds the key of power and administration over the house. And by the way, that describes the house of Israel, the kingdom. He has the management of the kingdom. He's been given a key that brings people into the treasury of the kingdom. He's the one who brings people to advance and places them in positions within the kingdom. And he also has a key to deny people that access to those things and those provisions. And He's the one who watches over the kingdom and administers the governance of the kingdom. He's the king's right hand. What does he do with this position that's been given to him? What's his response? Well, his personal response mirrors the same attitude that was in the people as a whole. Under the threat of destruction, he busies himself by building a memorial tomb for himself. He's going about trying to plan what his mausoleum is going to look like. If you read in the passage, you'll see that it, there were different levels in Jerusalem and the lower class were born at the lower levels of Jerusalem and the more wealthy you are, you got tombs further up and the royal family had tombs in the heights above the city and he's trying to build his tomb in the heights above the city. And that's what he's busying himself with and that's what he's running about doing while this great threat is coming, coming upon the nation of Israel. In verse 16, Three times the word here is employed. It's there to point out the inappropriate activity of the man. What's going on here? Have you ever heard your mother say that? When she's walked in you and you're not doing what you're supposed to? What's going on here? And you know, she's focusing you on some inappropriate behavior. That's exactly what's happening here. Let's read verses 15 and 16. 
Go proceed to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, What have you here? And whom have you here? That you have hewn a sepulcher here, as he who hews himself a sepulcher on high, who carves a tomb for himself in a rock. Because of this response of Shebna, not caring for and not watching over his nation and not providing leadership to them and not organizing them against the attack and the threats that are against them, but instead seeking to memorialize himself in death, resigning to these things and just trying to put out some last banners so that he might be known as some great person. God pronounces a judgment on him just like he had pronounced on all of Judah. It's in verses 17 and 18. Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and it will surely seize you. He will surely turn violently and toss you like a ball into a large country, and there you shall die. The picture image here is that it's like he's winding up his turban, his royal turban into a ball, and God is just chucking it into a far-off land. The idea here is he's failed the test. Judgment has been pronounced upon him. He's going to be banished from Judah. He's going to die a castaway in a far-off place. So we see here then a failed test in a time of trial and a pronounced judgment. No sobriety, no turning to God. Shibna illustrates individually the failure of Judah as a whole, a failure to turn to God and trust in him in the time of testing. Now, in the place of Shibna, God raises up Eliakim. And Eliakim is introduced to us as a righteous administrator who gives governance to the people as Shebna didn't. This, by the way, would indicate to us that Israel is not destroyed at this point in time. The judgment doesn't fall completely in Jerusalem at this time. What we understand is Eliakim was the last, you might say, administrator for the king, the good king, Hezekiah. So that's about the time that Eliakim lived. And it was during a time in which Assyria was pressing in upon the people and upon Judah. It's from Eliakim we find out what the duties of Shebna were to be. What Shebna had failed at, Eliakim succeeds at. Let's look at verses 20 through 24. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, that's Shebna's robe. I'll strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place, and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the posterity, all the vessels of small quantity from cups and all the pitchers. Let's understand this for a moment. Eliakim is going to take over the roles that had belonged to Shebna that he had totally failed at. The government is going to rest in his hands. But he is going to govern under the power that God gives him. And where Shebna lost sight of the people and fixated on building his own death crypt, Eliakim will care for the people. He'll be to them what a good king is to be to the people. He's to be a father for his nation watching over them. He'll hold the key of power that belongs to the royal family that opens doors into the royal benefits and blessings into the royal benefits. And also at the same time, he'll operate discretion to lock out anyone as discretion might require from those same benefits. And as a result, Eliakim is compared to a secure peg that is an honor to his family in which all the blessings can hang. And for, you know, all these individuals that have rallied around him and he's become the source of great honor and blessing. Just the opposite of Shebna. 
Shebna was grabbing for fame and for a name for himself and building his family mausoleum and he brought dishonor to the whole family but Eliakim is faithful. He's responding to the duty that God gives him and he opens up the wealth of the royal household and the royal kingdom to all of his family and to all of his family as a result is, is blessed by him. But here's an interesting thing. You have to read verse 25. It's kind of surprising. Some people think that it doesn't belong to Eliakim but I think it does. It has to. It follows right after this. Eliakim, whatever he has to offer for his family, doesn't endure. Ultimately, it fails as well. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the secure place will be removed and be cut down and fall. And the burden that was on it will be cut off. That's all the family and all the people that relied upon him to secure a place for them in the favor of the royal family and the kingdom. For the Lord has spoken. Here we see that Eliakim is but a man himself. He also will at some point fail in maintaining the benefits that he's brought to his family and to his nation. As more and more people hung upon him in dependence upon him, relying upon him as the one to bring an answer for them and to provide for them and watch over them and gather them wisely, he couldn't bear the weight at some point in time. And against all the pressures that are brought against him in this corrupt world, he breaks off and those relying on him fall from their place of honor. And Isaiah is making a prophecy here and we don't know exactly how it was fulfilled but we can be sure that it was. Eliakim was a good man. He loved his nation. He carried forward his rule and governance faithfully. He opened up these benefits to his family. But ultimately it didn't last. Nations and peoples throughout the history of the earth have relied upon Eliakim's. Good men that are positioned in places and because of their circumspect rule and because they are good and wise men, we benefit from that rule. But it's a lot of weight for those men to bear. And they've never borne it perfectly. They've all, at some point in time, failed. And the benefits they have brought dissipate. And then we long for another Eliakim to show up. Somebody else that can be a peg that we can somehow secure our future and our present in. And, but they always fail. At some point in time, they always fail. His influence and his benefit to the people is limited by his own weakness. He was but a man. Now, let's go and turn to Christ. Christ appropriates to himself the position and the role that was given to Eliakim. He is the one who holds the key of the royal household. He is the one who holds the key of the kingdom. He's the one who rises up and provides governance over all. He will be a father to those that he rules. He will be glorified and he will glorify all those who come to him within his own throne as he reigns and as he rules. They will hang upon him as a fixed and stable resting point for their lives, but he'll not give way. He'll never fail. There's nothing finite within him. There's no weakness within him that would terminate the blessings and the power and the benefit that accrue to those in his kingdom. They will abide forever. They'll abide forever. He is the true one who holds the key of the kingdom. Isaiah 9, we read it in our scripture reading. Think about it in these terms now. Verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. There's the key. The government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. The idea there is Father forever. 
enduring father, never losing, never leaving that role, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Take your Bibles now. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. And let's look at this letter that was written in which the Lord Jesus takes this designation. Revelation 3. And we're going to read verses 7 through 15. The letter that was written to the church in Philadelphia. And to the angel in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Just what we've just said about him. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, have not denied my name. What can we say about this? Listen, this door that's opened up to us, we don't open it up. These opportunities for victory and triumph and for gain and for blessing don't accrue to us because of anything within us. We're weak. We don't have the power. We don't hold the key and we couldn't turn it. He holds it. He turns it. He opens the way before us. It all comes to us through Him. Now, He goes on to say in verse 9, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. If you remember, Eliakim was a source of great honor and glory to his own household. And here we see that this triumphant Lord is a source of honor and glory to us. In this position, we are co-heirs with him. Thanks for listening to the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord richly bless you.